0: Welcome to the Stories and Motherhood podcast, a space for mothers to have raw and honest conversations about pregnancy, birth, motherhood, and everything in between. From traditional hospital birth to a home birth with midwives, or even to wild pregnancy and free birth, you will find all of it here. Every woman has something special to share when it comes to the way she brings life into the world, and every mother has a story to tell. I am your host, Eliza True. Hey guys, it's Eliza. Thank you for listening to the first episode of my podcast, Stories in Motherhood. So today I'm going to be having our conversation with one of my closest friends, Jenna. Uh, She started her motherhood journey very young when she got pregnant with her first child, Edna. Edna. And then she went on to have three miscarriages before she finally had her rainbow baby. So she has a really heartfelt story to share with us. Um, She's going to get into all the details of both of her births and also her miscarriages. So get ready for an emotional story, and I hope you enjoy.
1: David and I decided that we um, just wanted to... um see what the Lord would do in our lives with our fertility. And so we decided no birth control um, and we were um, fully expecting to conceive immediately. And we, we loved that idea. And um, we did actually conceive just three months into our marriage. Wow. Um, yeah. It was amazing. Uh, with our daughter Edna and um, her pregnancy, my pregnancy with her was um, normal and healthy and, um, As far as like our plan for um, our delivery and all of that stuff is we were very much into the natural birth at home. Um, We did a Bradley class, um, natural birth class with you and your husband.
0: Mm -hmm. We're in it together.
1: Yes. Um, And... We definitely, I I would have never said this at the time, except to you maybe, but I definitely felt like this was the Mm -hmm. quote unquote right way to have a baby was to, um, not only have a natural birth, but have a natural birth at home. Um, I was very, um, young and I knew everything. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) so, um, my pregnancy with Edna was healthy, but it was very, very difficult, um, I had really, really severe morning sickness for about the first four months of my pregnancy and um, I never um, vomited, but I it was just like this severe nausea that never went away um, and food was always oh. awful and it was just miserable. Um, and when that finally went away, the yes, worst. when that finally went away, I had about a month of like, maybe a month, maybe just a couple weeks of like, it was fine. Everything was almost enjoyable. And then I got this really terrible um, pelvic and back pain um, that never left. And I remember telling my midwife that it felt like the baby was falling out. And I said, that's normal, Ooh. right? And she like kind of oh, looked no. at me funny. She was like, no, that's not normal. So I think I just had like so much pelvic pressure for some reason. I never really figured out why. But that's how I felt with my following pregnancies, too, once I got later on, was that um, pressure. Like, I felt like the baby was just going to fall out. Um, So, made it to... 41 weeks and was really, really impatient. I'm not a patient person in general. And pregnancy just really brought out um, the dark side in me as far as my patience level. (laughs) And I was done. I was just downright done. Um, Probably starting at 37 weeks, I started to get really impatient. Um, And I was just so sore. I was in so much pain. I was so uncomfortable. We were ready to meet our baby. And so I said, I'm done. I want this baby out of me. Whatever it takes, we're transferring to an OB so that they can induce me. And so we did. We transferred to an OB and um, actually the OB that delivered my little sister. So that was fun. And um, he stripped my membranes and he said, oh, I'm not going to have to induce you. You're going to have this baby. You're going to come back to the hospital tonight and deliver the baby. Um, But in case you don't, you can just come back tomorrow and we'll induce you um and so so he was pretty sure he'd go into yeah labor he was positive before yeah. then wow yeah so we went home and did all of the walking the curb walking it was like David refers to it now as like angry curb walking because I was like fuming oh, no. like just so <laughs> mad like get this baby out like walking as hard oh, no. as I possibly could pulling muscles like getting so sore wiping myself out and uh no no baby so uh, we went in the next morning to get induced and we were all ready we had our bag and everything we were so excited and they were um the people at the intake office were really confused and they said well you're not on the schedule and we said well this is what our doctor told us like here we are ready to have a baby and they said no you have to the doctor has to schedule an induction and he hasn't scheduled one for you and so he came and saw us and he said, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there was a misunderstanding. I will schedule you to get induced tomorrow. And if you have been pregnant, you know that that is <laughs> devastating news that you oh, have to wait no. another day to get the baby out of your body.
0: And had you been having any contractions um, at all?
1: Good question. Yes. So I had, um, yeah, I completely forgot about this actually until you just brought this up. It's amazing what memories can be erased after you have the baby. <laughs> um, I had what we found out um, was called prodromal labor. So it's basically painful contractions, um, different from um, Braxton Hicks contractions, but they do not uh, lead to um cervix dilation. So painful, um, they can be long, they, they look and feel like real contractions. I went in a handful of times I got monitored. And they were like, Yep, you're having these contractions. These are real, um, but they're not um, producing a baby. And so I was having those for weeks, like starting at 37 weeks, I was having these contractions. So yeah, I forgot about that. That was like, oh, wow. so much um, of the impatience, too. Because once you start having contractions, you think, of course, the baby's gonna arrive. And so this is four and a half weeks now of contractions and no baby. So I have the um, Pitocin going through my veins and they started out pretty slow to see how your body responds. And everybody that I had talked to had told me how powerful Pitocin is and how it gives you these insane contractions a lot harder and a lot sooner than um, naturally than your body would if you didn't have Pitocin. Um, but I, I wasn't worried about it and I just Mm -hmm. felt like I was going to be able to handle this and to do this without any pain medication. Wow. And so, um, we started walking, um, around the delivery floor, uh, just to get things moving. And, um, I remember the nurse saying, wow, I've never seen a pregnant woman walk that quickly up here. (laughs) And I'm thinking, wow, I am so strong. I, <laughs> I am the strongest pregnant woman. I'm going to be able to do this. No pain meds. I'll go down in history as like a oh! woman who wasn't phased <laughs> by Pitocin. That's awesome. And then that Pitocin hit me. It hit oh, my no. veins. And I I can't describe the pain. I can't describe oh. the panic that I felt. Mm. Um. I, it really went from zero to 60. It was these little contractions at first that I was like, Oh, this is fine. This is, is this labor? Like this must be labor. This is no big deal. I can do this. (laughs) And then it was like, boom, like um, panic hit me. And I probably went just about 30 minutes with those contractions before I said, like, get me the, get me the pain meds, get them Mm -hmm. now. And my nurses were so lovely and they, Knew that it was my plan to do no pain meds. And so they said, well, should we try the um, the gas? I don't know. What is that gas called? The thing. Some, Some are kind of laughing gas. Yeah. yeah. So they, they were like, I was, I was like, okay, yeah, we can try that. And I didn't say it that, you know, concisely because I was in incredible pain hmm. and panicking. But they brought in the gas and I tried that and it didn't even touch the pain. It was like a joke. I was like, are you kidding me? Get this away from me. Hmm. And I said, "I want the epidural." And my nurses again said, "Are you sure? We can try getting you in the tub. We can do all these things." Because they knew that this was my plan, right? And they were be- they were doing a really good job by asking if I was sure. And I, I got very impatient. You. Yeah, I got very impatient at that point. I said, "Get me the epidural! Like, stop, stop <laughs> arguing with me. Get mm-hmm. me the epidural." And so they did. Um, It it takes a while to get the epidural going, though. They have to, like, put in the request and all that stuff. And then the anesthesiologist has to come down and get you all prepped. And so during that time, I had the gas. And I was literally just trying to survive is what it felt like. Like, I was, like, gasping in this gas. And um, everything around me was, like, dark and blurry. I couldn't see clearly. I couldn't hear clearly. Um, I was in so much pain that I was just in full on panic mode. Wow. Um, and then I got that epidural. I don't know how I was able to sit still to get the epidural. Honestly, I don't really remember it, but somehow I was able to sit still and got the epidural and within about 30 minutes, um, the pain was subsiding and started to smile and, um, started to actually enjoy the process. Um, and, uh. Things happened pretty quickly at that point, um, obviously because the pitocin was um, mm-hmm. helping things out, and um, there was a point when the nurse was checking me, and I don't know, somebody told a joke or something, and I laughed, and she said, "Oh, that's good. You're making progress. You're literally laughing the baby out." <laughs> oh wow, awesome! <laughs> and so that's like the <clears throat> the change from. The panic of the Pitocin to the laughter of the Epidural. (laughs) So the Epidural really worked for you. Oh my gosh. It was, and I had kind of a different experience with my um, daughter Debbie as well. So um, yeah, but with Edna, the Epidural was like, it was ideal. I I felt zero pain. And I mean, zero, Mm -hmm. like when they say that you're going to feel pressure when you push, I did not feel pressure when I pushed. And were you feeling good.
0: okay with your choice to have the epidural, even though you had oh, taken this yeah, natural yeah. birth class? And... As
1: soon, yes, absolutely. As soon as I felt that pain, mm-hmm. all of the ideas and the thoughts that I had about natural birth were out the window and I just needed that pain to stop. And that's, mm-hmm. it, it was as simple as that. It wasn't this profound idea. I didn't feel like a failure. I just knew that I needed the pain to be gone from my body. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was wonderful. I I really really enjoyed that birth. And so when it came time to push, I pushed for about an hour and literally did not feel a thing. Oh. Wow. Um I had a small tear that they um sewed up and didn't feel that. And um yeah, it was amazing when she was born. They put her right on my chest and I sobbed and sobbed and mm-hmm. David cried and we couldn't believe it. And it was just really, really beautiful. And, um, I guess like a full hour went by of me holding her. And I didn't even know that it had been that long. And David asked if he could hold her. And I felt Aww. like it was too soon. And I was like, no, I was thinking, you know, I was thinking, no, yes. but I was like, Oh, I guess I should let my husband hold, hold <laughs> his daughter. But it was hard to hand her over. Cause it felt like it had just been minutes that I'd been holding her. And, um, She nursed really well right away, and just really, really precious, precious moments. All of my family flooded into the room um, probably a little bit too quickly. I was not um, covered by any means, and my sisters saw the placenta and panicked a little bit. It was (laughs) kind of funny.
0: So when you were in labor, it was just you and your husband and then the nurses?
1: Uh, My mom was there. Okay. Yes. That was it. And so then they moved me to uh, my postpartum room a few hours later and um, David took care of Edna while well, she was just sleeping at this point. Probably. I don't remember mm-hmm. how they was sleeping. Took care of Edna while the nurse took me to the bathroom and helped me get cleaned up. And I have this vivid memory. So funny. Like they give you like, you know, these like mesh underwear and these huge gigantic pads. And oh, yeah, the nurse goes in there and she helps you get all situated and, Oh, God bless these nurses. They are so sweet and so (laughs) gentle, and they do a very, very important job. She cleaned me up down there and gave me, like, um, lidocaine. Is that what it was? Lidocaine spray or Mm -hmm. whatever, and um, witch hazel and stuff like that. But I remember her saying when she was cleaning me up, she said, oh, honey, you are really swollen. Oh, no, and this this is a woman. This is what she does. Like oh, she no. she sees this all day every day. Oh no! And so for her to point that out was a little bit alarming. <laughs> and um, yeah, I I felt the effects of that for for weeks. And I I think that a lot of it really had to do with because my epidural was working so well. I really, I and I didn't oh, feel anything. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't know that I was probably pushing too hard and too fast. Right. But I didn't know that because I didn't feel anything. So um, I would say that that was the one downside for me to the epidural was my recovery time afterwards. Mm -hmm. Because I think Mm -hmm. that if I had been able to let my body um, do it on its own and feel that, that I wouldn't have torn myself up as badly. Um, But yeah, we went home the next day. The car ride was very, very, very painful. They gave me one of those inflatable donut pillows and I lived on that thing for weeks um I was in significant pain for a good six to eight weeks Mm. and I mean like anytime I moved I was in pain severe pain um and I wrote down on on your body yes yeah I wrote down on my notes so tired so sore so much blood oh wow (laughs) (laughs) um but really like I just remember like this new version of tired that I had never experienced before And that's just all that I can explain it as. It was just like this new level of like, you're kind of like, I don't know. It almost felt like walking through a dream each day. Like you're just, you're going through the motions almost. Um, And it's amazing what our bodies can do as women when we're tired. Like we're really, we're able to meet our baby's needs and do it all. But uh, man, I was tired and sore and bled for a long time and,
0: well, there's just so much to learn, too. You have just gone yes. through something so significant on your body, and then you have this new being there that's relying on you and your body to sustain them. So, exactly. Yeah. So with Edna, was she um, nursing well and your milk came in and how was that experience?
1: Yeah, that was really good. Really amazing. I had a lot of milk, like more than enough milk, which I know is a huge blessing because um, not all women have a lot Mm -hmm. of milk. It's a real struggle for them. And Edna did nurse very easily. Um, Her latch was really painful, which we learned later on. She did have a lip tie. Okay. Um, but we didn't know it then. I just thought that that's what nursing a baby felt like. I just thought that it really hurt. So one thing that I was very nervous about after giving birth was my first bowel movement, oh, because yeah. people have told me, people had told me, especially my mom, that it was going to be really bad. Okay, and she advised me to take laxatives, and so I did. <laughs> and each day following that, I didn't have a bowel movement. I would take more laxative, oh, no. <laughs> and more laxative, and more laxative. Uh oh. And so when I finally did, I was sick for weeks. What? Yes, like I the re so I really quote unquote bounced back to my pre pregnancy body pretty quickly after Edna, yeah. and I know that it's because I was taking so much laxative oh, wow. that I literally was not keeping in nutrients.
0: Not recommended. Don't try this no. at home.
1: It was terrible. Like people would bring us food, bring us meals, and oh. I wouldn't eat because I knew that I couldn't keep anything in.
0: Okay. And so wow.
1: David would eat, and I was starving for a few weeks until I could get my stomach to settle back down from all of those laxatives. Yikes. It was bad. <laughs> yeah. So bounced right back. Yeah. Um, but was pretty sick. So okay. yeah. <clears throat> So moving along, um, I think that's. I don't know. Do you want me to add anything else? I think that's I don't kind think of my so. Yeah, that's, Edna. that sounds good. All right. So um, about four. So I'm bad with dates and times. I mm. I don't remember things that way. So I'm not. A lot of this might seem a little bit um, uh, off or something. But yeah. so around when Edna was about three or four months old, we got pregnant again. Um, wow. And we were very excited, um, and we felt relaxed, and we felt peaceful, and we were ready to have another baby. David and I wanted um, seven kids. Okay, wow. We had decided that we wanted a lot of kids, and so we were excited to have them close and to have them quickly, and so this was a really exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I noticed that I was feeling a lot better with this pregnancy. And so I just chalked it up to being that I'm having a boy and not a okay. girl. And that's why I'm, I'm not having any morning sickness. And we had our 10-week ultrasound scheduled because that's typically when you go into your first OB appointment is mm-hmm. when you're around eight or 10 weeks pregnant. So I went into my 10-week ultrasound and um, they did a scan And this was with a new midwife um, that I hadn't seen before. Okay. And she told me that there was no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And I told her that she must be confused and that we had probably conceived at a a different time, that the baby was Mm -hmm. probably too small to have a heartbeat at this point. And she not so gently told me that, no, this baby was not alive. It had stopped growing at six weeks and, um, there was not, there was no heartbeat and there was not going to be a heart, a heartbeat. Wow. And, um, I was completely shocked and confused and, um, in denial. And Mm -hmm. I just kept telling her that they got the timing wrong or the date wrong or something. And so she said, well, let's do some blood tests to confirm it. And so they did, they drew my blood that day. And then they drew my blood, um, I think either one or two days later, I think the next day, the next 24 hours and did determine that my HCG levels were going down, which Mm. um, did mean that I had had a miscarriage. Wow. And um, yeah, like I said, I was just completely shocked. I I know that that I knew that this happened, but I, mm-hmm. I had never dreamt that it would happen to me. It it right. hadn't even it hadn't even crossed my mind that it could happen to me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even on our radar. Yeah. Um and I remember calling my mom after the appointment and in tears trying to explain to her what had happened and she responded basically the same way that I did. She was so confused and she was in denial and she kept saying, No, that can't be right. I'm sure
0: oh, I'm sure wow. they didn't
1: get it right. I'm sure they saw, you know Just same thing. And um, she was so shocked too. And uh, yeah, so a lot of denial and Mm. shock there. And so once we confirmed that um, I had had a miscarriage, um, that midwife prescribed me a pill to take um, to pass the baby at home. And so I don't remember... How I told David about this, I think okay. that I, I'm not. I, I really don't remember, and I think it could yeah. just still be some of the bad memories and stuff. Like our brain blocks things out, right? Um, but um, so David knew, and we were processing this, and so we took the pill, and we or we took the pill home, and then we planned the day out um, to pass this baby. We went to the store and got all of my favorite snacks and treats. And we um, got all of the, you know, supplies, pads, and things that we thought mm-hmm. that we would need. And um, we were not given very much information about what would happen. I was just told okay. that it would feel like a heavy period. And uh, we got my parents to watch Edna, our little four-month-old girl, wow, five-month-old, so yeah, and I guess she was about five or six months at that point. And um, so we got, we were all prepared, and we went up and watched the office, and. Um, we were ready to miscarry our baby and we took the pill and nothing happened hmm. for days. Nothing happened. The pill did not work. Wow. Um, and so that was really hard because we were emotionally prepared and, you know, as prepared as you can be and ready for this to happen and to be over with and nothing happened. And so we had to schedule a DNC, a surgical DNC. And um, Then about two days before the the procedure was scheduled, I did pass the baby naturally. Um, And I so I just started having these really bad cramps. We'd just gotten home from church, and I was having really, really severe cramps in the car Mm -hmm. on the way home from church. But I didn't really think anything of it. And I went to the bathroom and passed some really huge clots, and then I passed the baby, and I saw him. And, well, we don't know if it was a boy or a girl, but... Um, we, named, we named the baby Gabriel, and I do refer to Gabriel as him. Yeah. Um, we saw the baby, and um, it was very, very traumatic. It was very bloody. I didn't know. I had no idea what to experience. I didn't know that I would see him. I didn't know what it would feel like, and it was intense mm-hmm. and traumatic. And I remember that I didn't cry. Um, I just walked out and said to David, I can't I can't remember what I said, but I think I said like, well, it's done or something oh, wow. something like that. Um, just in shock and yeah. a little bit traumatized, to be honest. Yeah. Um so from there we were told that it was just a fluke and that there wasn't anything wrong with us per se, and that we shouldn't have any problem conceiving again, and they even recommended that we try to conceive right away. Okay. Um And we did. We conceived almost immediately. Hmm. I think just like a month or a month and a half after we lost Gabriel, we conceived again. Amazing. Yeah. And um, so we got an ultrasound early on because we had had a loss and I wanted to make sure that everything was okay. So we got an ultrasound at about eight weeks, I believe. Okay. And they did say that the baby's heartbeat was not as fast as they would like it to be. And that he was smaller than he was supposed to be. Okay. But I just thought, oh, well, there is a heartbeat. That's wonderful. He's going to be fine. Um, we'll schedule another appointment. So they scheduled another appointment for a couple days following. And we went back in and had another ultrasound. And he had died. There was oh. no heartbeat. Um, and so he died at nine weeks. So Gabriel mm. died at six weeks. Isaiah died at nine weeks. And, um... Because I was so traumatized from having my miscarriage naturally, I said, I don't want to take that pill. I want you mm. to do a DNC. I want to be okay. asleep. I don't want to see it. I don't want to feel it. I just want to be done. Yeah. And um, they had said that since this was my second one, they wanted to, um, they say, they, they refer to him as tissue tissue. No. Um, but what they mean is they wanted to take the baby. They say we want to mm-hmm. take the tissue and test it, but they mean we want to take the baby and test him. Yeah. So they took the baby and they, um, after the DNC, they, um, did some DNA testing on him and they found out that he was a boy. He was an abnormal boy. So it, it's confusing. I don't remember the exact thing that they said, but he had like, um, both chromosomes, both male and female chromosomes, mm-hmm. but he was like more male. Okay. Um and he had like this really rare random um genetic anomaly Hmm. that's like a one in a million thing. Okay. And they said I don't know why this happened, but it won't happen again. Like it it this can't happen. This probably will not happen again. It was one in a million. And um so at that point we Decided that we wanted to try one last time because we were like, we have lost two babies and we yeah. we would like to have a healthy baby. This has yeah. been really hard and we would like to have a healthy baby. And so we decided, let's try one more time. And if we are unable to have a healthy baby, then we're going to be done. And so we did try and we conceived again almost immediately. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and by this time, probably about... Oh gosh, I don't know. Nine months? I'm so I'm okay. so bad with the dates and the times, but it all happened so fast, so close together. Um, so the first ultrasound looked good. Um, but then after that first ultrasound, we got a call from the ultras the lady that did the ultrasound, and she said, "Um, there's something that didn't look quite right. We think that um, the levels of amniotic fluid were a little bit off, and so we need you to come in for a second ultrasound." And so we were thinking like, oh, okay. So we looked that up and, and saw what it could be. And it seemed like a minor issue. And so we weren't concerned. We are like, this is going to be fine. Okay. And so we you went back good. in. Yeah, we were feeling good. And so we went in for our second ultrasound. And they said, um, they gave us some really bad news. They said, so what we're seeing is called a cystic hygroma. And it's on the back of the baby's neck. And oftentimes what that means is that the baby has some sort of genetic anomaly. And a cystic hygroma of this size is usually going to be fatal. Hmm. And, um, I was in denial about that. I really trusted that the Lord could heal this baby and that Hmm. this baby would be healthy. And so we just continued, um, to get tests. And at this point, the doctors had suggested termination of the pregnancy. And we said, no, we're not going to terminate the pregnancy. That's not an option for us. Um, And so we got some tests done. We got some genetic testing done, just a blood test, which came back inconclusive. Um, And so once we got to the point where you can do an amniocentesis um, safely, we did that. I don't remember how far along Hmm. I was. Um, But the amnio confirmed the baby had Turner syndrome. Okay. Which is actually a pretty common genetic anomaly that happens only in girls. And so we knew that she was a girl. Mm-hmm. And, um, Turner's, um, yeah. So basically, I don't remember all the details, but I think it's like 98% fatal before birth. Oh, wow. Um, but we were still, I was still hopeful. I, I thought that the Lord could save her and yeah. that she could be healthy. And, um, at the very least, I thought that she would um, grow until she was about 30 or 35 weeks in my belly and that we would get to hold her and get some good pictures with her mm-hmm. and meet her and, get, you know, have, build some memories with her. And that's what our OB thought too. He said that he just had a case of a woman who had a baby with Turner syndrome and that baby made it to about 34 weeks. Okay. Um, just have and you thought your house to... was stillborn. Yeah. 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 Yep. And so we prepared for that um, in the sense that we were in the beginning of planning a a really beautiful funeral. And I um, went online and I purchased an outfit for her to be buried in and um, some different things like that. And I also bought some little preemie size hats because I still thought in the back of my mind that she might live and she would need Mm. to be warm. And so I got her some hats just in case. And um, that whole time, I was just majorly depressed. I mean, Mm. just in the darkest place I've ever been in my life. And my sweet little daughter, Edna, in the meantime, is just growing and she's in her first year of life and I'm missing it quite honestly Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so depressed and um just in this dark dark place and having a hard time getting out of bed and having a hard time letting David leave for work and I'm crying all the time and just a huge mess um and we had a doppler a fetal doppler to listen to the baby's heartbeat at home and my doctor had asked me to do that I was seeing him every week um but he had asked me to um Check her heart rate every day. Okay. And so we were doing that. And at about 18 weeks, I was checking her heart rate one day and I couldn't find it. <clears throat> and I tried and tried and tried and still couldn't find it. And I had David try and he couldn't find mm-hmm. it. And I had my, my sister try and they couldn't find it. And so I told my mom that I needed her to take me to the doctor because the baby had died. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know if anybody else quite believed it at that point, but I knew in my heart. And, um, so my mom drove me to the doctor. Um, it was a Sunday. And so he, he was really great. He came into the office on a Sunday to do my scan. Okay. And he did confirm that she had died at 18 weeks, um, which was really unexpected. He was surprised. We were surprised, shocked again. Um, really, um, I grieved not just her death, but the the loss of um, the ability to to spend that time with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember saying to my mom, um, I, "I thought I had more time." I kept wow. I said that over and over. I thought I had more time. Um, I wanted more time with her, and I wanted to be able to hold her in my arms and um, have all of those memories and. Mm-hmm. Um, And so that was really, really unexpected. And I should mention that the reason that I had my mom bring me and not David is because after my last miscarriage with Isaiah, when they did the DNC, I woke up from the anesthesia really, really upset. I was screaming and crying, hmm. um, which is not an uncommon reaction, actually, to anesthesia. Okay. Um, so they weren't alarmed, but David was really um, disturbed. And okay. it, it really made him uncomfortable. really made him nervous and scared for me. Hmm. And I didn't want to put him in that position again. And I was just trying to protect him. So that's why I had my mom bring me. Okay. And I had him stay with Edna. Um, so that's why my mom was there with me. David is yeah. incredibly supportive and obviously he stayed home and took care of Edna. Um and we let him know as soon as we knew that she had passed away. Okay. And um so yeah, lots of shock and surprise mm-hmm. that we weren't gonna be able to follow through with those plans. Um and so this doctor, this OB, was um really, really great um on the medical side of things. But he was not very empathetic. And so he gave me my options about how to move forward. What he suggested that I should do is he said that I should go home and take these pills. And essentially, it would start the miscarriage process at home. And then once I started miscarrying, then I would drive to the hospital and they would help me along. And make mm. sure that I pass the placenta and all of that. Okay. Um. But this really startled me because I said, well, I don't want to miscarry in the car on the way there. Like, I don't want to. That just so right. made... I don't want to see my dead baby while I'm driving in the car. Right. I don't know. You know, she's very. They- they've told us that she's, um, she's got this large um, cyst on the back of her neck. She's very, very. Look like a normal, healthy baby. And mm. honestly, I was very nervous. I was afraid to see her. I was afraid of what she would look like. Okay. Um, because I didn't want to remember her because the way that I pictured her was, was a beautiful, sweet, little, tiny, healthy baby. And I didn't want to remember her in a way that was not that pretty picture that Mm -hmm. I had in my head. And so I said, I don't want to have her in the car. And he not very sensitively said, well, we're not concerned about that. We're just concerned about the placenta. So just, if you have her in the car, if you have it in the car, bring it in. And Mm. then we will make sure that we get the placenta removed. Wow. And that was very, very upsetting. And so I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I want you to do a DNC. And so um, that's what we did. And they, um, yeah, I went in for surgery and they removed Eleanor. We named her Eleanor. Mm. Eleanor Hosanna. Beautiful. And, yeah. And they... um, gave me a form it was also it was also fast and our it was so different than what our plans were um it just all happened so quickly they gave me a form that said that a baby born before 20 weeks um can like the the hospital will just take responsibility for disposing I don't think of of taking care of the body okay and so I signed a paper releasing them to do that okay um and looking back on that I wish that we had decided to um take her body and do Mm. a proper burial. Um, but I honestly didn't really quite realize at the time that that was an option for me. Um, and I, I do still feel a little bit guilty about that now, but I think that I just need to give myself grace and remember that I was going through some major trauma and my options were not laid out in a way that I could understand in that traumatized state. And, um, another thing that I didn't understand was that Ellen born intact. I think that the assumption um, when somebody has a DNC is that that baby is not going to be born um, whole and intact. And um, if I had known that she was there in that um, operating room, I, I would have wanted yeah. to hold her. I would have wanted them to wrap her in a blanket yeah. and um, let me hold her body when I woke up. And I didn't know until weeks later that she was there. Um, And I know that it wasn't her, that it was her body, that she was in heaven with Jesus, but Mm -hmm. that's still something that's very, very painful for me, um, is that I didn't get to have that closure, that I didn't get to hold her and um, have that memory with her. Um, So, yeah, lots of trauma there. I don't remember too much postpartum. Um, The grief was uh really intense uh i don't know if you've heard like the i don't know like books or people will talk about how there's like this um almost like uh i can't think of the word like for w- when a woman loses a child or like for for a type of grief that's so deep like there's like this wailing Sound. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Yes. Yes. That a woman makes. Yes. And like I recall myself making that wow. sound, and I like even even in the time, like I was thinking, I was like, oh, this is what they mean. Yeah. Like this is that feeling. This is that mm-hmm. sound. Um, and it was just Ugh. really deep despair and really deep grief, and it was very, very, very incredibly painful mm-hmm. for a long time. Still is painful. Yeah, and all three of my losses are very painful. Um, but Eleanor was different because um, I carried her for 18 weeks and yeah. I felt her kick every day for you know several weeks. She was kicking. I heard her heartbeat every day, yeah. and we saw her on the ultrasound lots of times and saw her little hands and her feet and um, so that was different. We expected and, her to um, live significantly significantly longer than that. More painful. Yes, yes, we did. We expected to be able to hold her in our arms and. Um, have footprints and pictures and um to have her heartbeat recorded for us and all of those things we did not have so really really traumatic yes <clears throat> so we ended up having just a really small memorial service for her because um I just felt so devastated I didn't know how to move forward with our funeral plans when it happened so differently than I had imagined and so we just had um, my family and um, our very closest friends over to our house for a small memorial we released a whole bunch of balloons for her and I was able to share a little bit of my feelings with my family and my friends and that was a good time to um, grieve and to express to them my feelings a little bit so I think that that was good. Some closure that you could be in control of. Yes, a little bit. <clears throat> yeah. Um. And then after that, unfortunately, nobody told me, um, that about the the trauma and the effects that loss can have on your brain and on and on your mental health. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just thought that we would just move on and that we would be fine and that I would be fine. And it didn't even cross my mind that I could maybe go to counseling or therapy or anything like that or talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just did what we thought was the right thing, and we jumped right into foster care for a year. Mm -hmm. And I won't go into the details of that right now. That's another story. But um, so for a year, we were foster parents.
0: And um, So you were feeling done with pregnancy?
1: Yes, Yep. <clears throat> Done with pregnancy. We hadn't made any um, decisions based on that yet. We just went into foster care and I got an IUD so that we knew that we would not get pregnant during okay. that time. And a year goes by and um, I have, for, for lack of a better term, a mental breakdown, really. I um, Just some, some major feelings came up from my losses. I didn't even know that they were from my losses. Um, I was so traumatized, um, from that grief and from those losses that it had affected my brain chemistry in a way that I was unable to, um, care for my children. Hmm. And I had, um, Edna and a foster child in our home at the time. And we had to move the foster child to another home because I was not wanting to live. And I was having all kinds of major issues. Um, And we needed to get me some help right away, very, very quickly. And so I found a really good therapist and she did EMDR therapy for me, which is it stimulates um, both sides of the brain and actually helps to correct um, the parts of the brain that have been affected by trauma. It actually heals those pathways in the brain um, as you talk through the trauma. And I got on some wonderful medication That helped to correct my brain chemistry as well. And um, my therapist diagnosed me with um, post traumatic stress disorder and postpartum depression and anxiety.
0: It's a lot.
1: And yeah, it is a lot. But um, praise the Lord, after just a few weeks of the EMDR therapy, I was literally a new person. Mm -hmm. The EMDR therapy completely. Transformed my mental health wow. and my brain. Um, I I didn't even know how dark and depressed I was until I was out of it. Wow. Until that until that therapy started to work and I started to feel like myself again and I could see color again and I could um, experience love and all of those things mm-hmm. again. I was in such a dark place and I didn't even know it.
0: Wow. And David
1: says now, like he didn't even really realize it either because it was such a gradual. Change into that place of depression and anxiety wow. that we didn't really notice how far gone I was until I was out of it.
0: Wow. So,
1: <clears throat> yeah. So after that, we we rethought all of our fertility stuff and decided that it was time to um, not have any more babies. And so, because of our insurance, it would be covered for me to get a tubal, uh, but not for David to get a vasectomy. Okay. And so I went ahead and scheduled um, a tubal ligation. And um, we were ready to be done yeah. having babies and being pregnant after all of that trauma. In your early and 20s. I, yes, yeah, I was 25, yeah, 25 years old. Hmm. And I'd had uh, four pregnancies and three losses. Yeah. And so we were done. Um, and so I scheduled that and... um. I had checked with my therapist, too, and just said, like, is this irrational? Like, am I at an okay state to make this decision? And she confirmed that I was at a healthy place to make that decision. So that was scheduled. We were ready to go. And then about a week before the surgery, I just felt really unsettled about it and I that's all that I can say I can't I I don't really have any other words Mm -hmm. I just felt unsettled I didn't feel peaceful about it I didn't know what that would mean I didn't know I wasn't saying that I wanted to get pregnant I just felt like I wasn't ready to be done forever yeah and so I called and canceled the surgery very spontaneously and then I called David and told him I canceled the surgery and he was like okay and uh, I'm not really sure what to don't think and (laughs) then about a month later we got pregnant (laughs) and (laughs) because apparently we are the most fertile people (laughs) around but we just uh my body doesn't like to hold on to a pregnancy so yeah um we got pregnant and uh the anxiety set in man we were we were excited but We were mostly terrified and we were mostly anxious and, um, the emotions were high and I cried a lot and I said, why did we do this? Why did we let this happen? Mm -hmm. She's just going to die. We didn't know that it was a girl at that point, but yeah, this baby's not going to live. Like my body can't hold a healthy baby. Edna was a miracle and you know, everything after that was what was, you know, that's what my body does is it lets babies die. Um, and so we got a lot of blood tests. This is where I was getting confused earlier with Eleanor. I was getting confused about the pregnancies. Okay. Because I've had five yeah. of them. Um, so we got multiple blood tests, um, like, every few days to make sure that my HCG levels were going up. Okay. Um, And because I'd had five pregnancies and three losses, the doctors were really understanding. And they were really great about like, yeah, whatever you want, whatever testing you want, however many ultrasounds you want, we will do it. Once you have those three three, losses, they take you seriously. Yes. Yeah. It it shouldn't take that much. Unfortunately, it does. But um, so uh, blood tests and we kept getting good results Um, and we would feel encouraged for a couple minutes. And then I would feel afraid again because I would think to myself, well, those results were taken hours ago. That yeah. doesn't mean that the baby is healthy right now. Um, and we had so many ultrasounds. I don't even know how many ultrasounds we had no. because I would just I would panic and I would say, my baby is dying. And I would go to the doctor and I would say, I need you to check because my baby is dying. If you weren't nauseous and for like a couple minutes or yep, something. Yeah. Yep, if I didn't feel sick, if I didn't feel, yeah, I, I was just sure. And so, so many ultrasounds, um, but they kept confirming a healthy baby. Um, And so, we, around that time, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember when we felt like, gosh, I don't think we ever felt relaxed. But Mm. probably around 12 or 14 weeks, we started to relax a little bit in the sense that we didn't feel like she was going to die any day. Yeah. Um, And we did do genetic testing as early as possible, which also determines the gender. I think we did that at nine weeks. Okay. And we found out that she was a girl. Mm -hmm. And according to the things that they tested for on that test, um, she um, was healthy. Okay. All of those tests came back normal. So that was encouraging. And all of the ultrasounds were looking good. And so after her anatomy scan... At, like, 19 weeks, I think we started to really relax and realize, okay, she's a healthy baby. Um, She's going to be okay. And then, oddly enough, at 18 weeks, which, if you remember, that's when Eleanor died, Mm -hmm. um, I started having contractions um, with Debbie. Our daughter's name is Debbie. And she, yeah, um, like, painful contractions. And I headed to the hospital because I, I, I thought that we were losing her. Yeah. And so I went to the hospital. Um, I don't, so we went, I know we've been to the, oh, we went several times because these contractions continued and at least once or twice you were there with me. Mm-hmm. I remember that you met me there, you brought me food um, and that was really comforting to have you there by my side when David had to stay home with Edna because it was at night and she had to right. go to bed. And so I had these contractions. They did all these tests and stuff, and said, "Well, she's staying in there, and she looks healthy, and she looks normal." Um, but throughout my pregnancy, the contractions continued, um, similarly to my pregnancy with Edna. It just started a lot sooner, okay. and the contractions were more painful and they felt stronger. And at one point, I was hospitalized. I don't remember how many weeks I was—like twenty weeks, twenty past weeks?
0: twenty, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, like twenty-two, maybe twenty-two weeks. Yeah. Um, I was hospitalized because they did think that she was going to be born um, because they were monitoring my contractions. They were like, yeah, these are, these really look significant. And so they hospitalized me and um, gave me, they injected my belly with all of the steroids and stuff to um, like help to bulk up her lungs Mm. just in case she was born early, help develop her lungs. And um, they were, they had me on magnesium Something or other, that's not the full term, but it was mag- some sort of magnesium um, to stop the contractions. Um, and it didn't work, it just made me feel really sick. Mm. But I was there for a couple days and they wanted to keep me longer, but I said that I was done. I was like, I'm miserable here. I'm not getting any sleep. And it's not stopping um, the contractions. And it's not stopping the contractions. So, like, you gave me the steroids, if she's going to be born. She's going to be born. I'm not going to stay here at the hospital. And so I left and she stayed put, Um, but the contractions did not stop. And so I became very impatient. And at this point I was like, I think after we hit 24 weeks, I was like, okay, Debbie, you can go ahead and be born because at 24 weeks, you're like healthy enough to, you know, live. Like, that's how miserable I was with these contractions. I was like, okay. You knew
0: she would be in the NICU for months. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that she
1: would be in the NICU if she was born, but I was in so much pain and discomfort and not getting sleep um, that I was willing to accept that, which sounds crazy now looking back on it. But I do remember feeling that way Mm -hmm. um, because my body was just so exhausted. Yeah. So um, we made it to 37 weeks, and I'm miserable and anxious every day. And um, we went in because I was having some more severe contractions, and um, I was dilated to I think three centimeters. And so we were Mm -hmm. super excited. We're like, yes, we're going to have the baby. Because with Edna, I didn't dilate all until I had Pitocin, and I was 41 and a half weeks. So we thought we were having her um and at 37 weeks
0: it's completely healthy to have a baby oh
1: yeah totally yeah we were ready Mm -hmm. and they wanted to send me home and so we were feeling really really discouraged and we're like she's never gonna come out you know Mm -hmm. and so we were getting ready to head home and then my OB walked into triage and she was just like an angel walking on light (laughs) and she came in and she said I'm going to give you your baby today. I'm going to let you have your baby today. And I like was so shocked. And I like started crying. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) And she said, well, Your baby's heart rate is a little bit elevated. And she kind of gave me like this little like wink, wink look. Mm -hmm. And she was like, so I need to break your water and I need to get this baby out because her heart rate is a little bit elevated. Yeah, And really, she was just taking pity on me because I had been in her office every week sobbing, telling her how much pain I was in, how exhausted I was from these contractions that I've been having for like, what, 20 weeks, 19 weeks. Um, and asking her, like, if I could sign a form to induce me early, like, what can I do? How can yeah. we get this baby out? And so she quite, quite frankly, just took pity on me and was like, we need to get this baby out. We need to give you a healthy baby. She was
0: probably concerned about your mental health too. Yeah. Just knowing yeah, that, Which
1: really needs yeah. to be taken into effect because right. I was telling her, I was like, I'm going to get this baby out. Like I had mm-hmm. taken castor oil at that point. Right. I had, I was doing oh, whatever wow. I could to get this baby out. I was not in a good place. Mm-hmm. And so, um. I was 37 and a half weeks. So she was, Debbie was more than more than healthy enough to be born. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she induced me and um, I got an epidural with Debbie as well. I was all about it this time. Yeah. <laughs> all about that epidural. So they, they started the epidural before they even started the Pitocin. Um, but it was a much different epidural. It was very interesting having had two because I could still move my legs and my toes and I could feel them. Um, and so... And I could feel my contractions. They weren't painful, um, but I could feel them. And then when it was time to push, I could definitely feel the pressure and I could definitely feel the urge to push. And um, yeah, that was really, really interesting and really kind of cool that it was like I didn't necessarily feel like there was some pain, um, but um, not terrible. But I felt a lot more than I did with Edna, which I did like. I enjoyed that. Um, just feeling like I was able to control, like when I would push, I didn't feel like I needed them to tell me or anything. Like I just let my body do what it needed to do. And, um, I think that I like healed better that time too. And I think that probably has a lot to do with it was that I was able to feel it. Um, so yeah, she was born after what, like I pushed, I think for three or four contractions. You were there. (laughs) Eliza was there.
0: I was the Um, doula
1: yes (laughs) she was born after three or four contractions and um most incredible moment of my life was when she was put on my chest um I can't I can't put it into words Mm. we were sobbing tears of relief and joy and shock and just like we could not believe that she was there and that she was healthy and after everything that had happened she was our sweet daughter and I wasn't going to let her go. And um, she wasn't noisy, but it turns out she's just not a noisy girl. Mm -hmm. But at the time, she didn't wail. And they they really, I guess the doctors like them to cry so they know that they're getting their lungs clear. Yeah. Um, But she didn't do that. And so they um, did take her away and brought in the NICU team and uh, made sure that she was breathing and all of that. And she was. Mm -hmm. She just turns out a really calm, gentle, quiet girl Mm -hmm. um but that was hard when they took her away from me because I was like nope I need I need her but I needed to know that she was healthy and so that's why I was fine with them taking her because I've had so much history of babies not being healthy that I needed to make sure that she was yeah And that was a little bit um, scary when they had her over there and they were checking her out because they weren't really telling me anything. They were just looking her over and they didn't say, like, she looks good Mm -hmm. or anything. They just Mm -hmm. didn't tell me anything until they handed her back. And I remember you were there and you kept like... He would, like, turn to me and, like, give me a thumbs up and say, like, she looks good. But I was, like, are you, <laughs> you <don't know. laughs> just being nice? Are you just trying yeah. to encourage me? And, like, something terrible is happening over there. Right. Like, she's not breathing and you're just trying to, you know, like, keep my hopes up or mm-hmm. what. Like, I because I couldn't see her at all. So I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit stressful. But they handed her back to me, all wrapped up. And I got her out of that swaddle and put her back on my skin. I was, like, what are you doing? I need this baby's skin mm-hmm. on my skin right now. <laughs> and, um Oh, I forgot to mention that during that time um, when she was like 20 weeks or something, we had decided that we were going to go through with a tubal after she was born, a tubal ligation to Mm -hmm. become sterilized, not have any more babies. And we were committed to it at that time. And so I signed my papers and stuff. And um, my OB had told me that the best time to do it would be right after she was born because my uterus would still be like inflated or whatever, which makes it easier for them to do it. Um, otherwise I would have had to wait for six weeks. So I'd have to go okay. through six weeks of postpartum and then go back for surgery and then recover from surgery. And so I was like, oh yeah, it makes so much more sense to just go get a surgery, mm-hmm. recover from surgery and postpartum at the same time. But I didn't realize how hard it would be, um, to say goodbye to my sweet little girl just a couple hours after no. she was born. Cause it was, it was it's like so two or hard. three hours after she was born. They said that they needed to take me to prep me for surgery. And, um, And then the prepping for surgery took a couple hours, too. So I was just without my baby. I'd had my baby a couple hours ago, and I'm prepping for surgery. And I'm like, why did I choose to do this right now? I need my baby. Um, So that was not fun. But they did my tubal, and everything went well. And they let me have Debbie right afterwards and left the hospital a couple days later. And, yeah, I bled for 14 weeks after Debbie. That's a long time. That's a long time. <laughs>
0: Normal is around what six six to, weeks, yeah, yeah, around six weeks,
1: yeah. I th- or I know it was because I was so excited to not be pregnant, and to like be feeling good and energized again, and so excited to have a healthy baby that I just started doing all the things. Like wow. we went out on long walks and like hikes, and we were out moving. And <clears throat> I think that if I had just put my feet up for a few days, yeah. I would have um healed a lot better but my you were body just, just tired of resting to... I was tired of resting <laughs> I've been on bed rest trying to keep that baby in there which I forgot mm-hmm. to mention I was on like modified bed rest um for a lot of those weeks yeah. so I was tired of being on my couch I wanted to get up and move so yeah bled wow. for 14 weeks and then um my body is much different now. I didn't do all of the bad laxative stuff. So, Good. <laughs> yes. So I've got this big soft postpartum belly that probably will never go away. Beautiful. Cause had, yeah. <laughs> Cuz I've had two full-term pregnancies and three partial pregnancies and mm-hmm. my uterus is all stretched out and this is my body now. So nice,
0: comfy spot for babies to rest. <laughs> it
1: is, yes. Yeah. And then we'll say, Mom, your belly's so soft.
0: Oh, I love
1: that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, so- how,
0: how did you do emotionally postpartum? I know that um, it's a lot to have all of those pregnancies and every one of them was different. And then to
1: have a healthy baby girl. Yes. Um, we, she's just a delight. And, Anytime that we were with her was so delightful. Um, But there was still a lot of anxiety. I definitely thought that the anxiety would subside after she was born healthy, but it Mm. did not and has not. Um, To some level, it did. I'm not nearly as anxious anymore, but um, it's still there for sure. Um, There's a lot of anytime she's sleeping, and I feel like she's been sleeping for too long. I'll go and check on her and make sure she's breathing. Wow. Or I'll just get a feeling. Um, just like an anxious feeling and I'm like, something is not right. And mm. I'll go in and I'll check on her and she's always fine. She's always okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, postpartum emotions, just joy mostly. Um, mm. We're just so, so beyond thrilled to have our healthy girl and to be spending time with her. And she's such a delight and she's so cheerful and easy and she doesn't cry a lot. She doesn't really make a lot of noise. Wow. Well, now she does because she's starting to, you know, baby talk. But when she and was how a little old baby, is she, she is she is six and a half months now, wow. healthy as can be. It's so, so great. Yeah. So yeah, lots of anxiety still. Um, I think that that is just a product of loss, miscarriage, and death, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, but keep surrendering that to the Lord and thanking Him for her health and. We just rejoice. We literally rejoice every day for our healthy girls. It's beautiful. I
0: enjoy listening to your stories. For those people listening, Jenna and I are very good friends, but um, it's always great to hear your stories again. And um, I appreciate it. You've gone through so much. And um, you've come out on the other end of it for the better. And Yeah. Um,
1: I really yeah. am living my best life. I say that Aww. all the time. Like I'm not. I'm not kidding. Like this is yeah. my best life. Being right. a mom to these healthy girls is the best. The best thing. I'm the happiest yeah. I've ever been. It's so great.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and um, I'm sure that we'll hear from you again on here to tell some other stories. But um, for now, thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you.
0: That's all for today. Remember to subscribe to Stories in Motherhood and leave a review while you're there. If you would like to share your story, please message me on Instagram at stories in motherhood.